Hello and welcome to Phenomena, the podcast about women who have been written out of or underrepresented in Irish history. I am Maria Butler and I am here with Shauna Lee Lynch. We realised that in the last couple of episodes we kind of forgot to say anything about ourselves, so we're just going to kick off with that a little bit. So, as I mentioned, my name is Maria. I am currently working as a bartender, but before that I was a librarian in a law firm and a school, and I was a researcher in UCC, so my background is very much in research and books and reading, and um, I enjoy talking about women a lot and feminism and all that kind of things so yeah that's that's me in a nutshell I guess and my name is Shauna and my background is in theatre and some film and poetry and arts in general and I have a degree in drama and I've been involved in a lot of different plays in Ireland and abroad over the past few years. I too am very interested in women. Uh, A lot of my work revolves around feminist themes and um, feminist issues. So I too like talking about women and I'm very happy to get to do this on this podcast. So for today's episode, Shauna is going to take the lead and she is going to talk to us about... Mary Swansea. Uh, Mary Swansea is Ireland's first Cubist painter. Uh, I came across her last year in the Crawford Art Gallery. They had an exhibition called Voyages. And I just kind of strolled in there, just random Sunday, as you do. And I I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what was on or anything. And before I knew who she was, I just saw her work. And it was incredible. It was really colourful and weird and beautiful. And then I read all of the, the, what you call those side notes next to paintings? Just the side notes. Blurbs? <laughs> blurbs, yeah, we'll go with blurbs. And she was a really, really interesting woman. So I'm very excited to talk to you about her. Um, so yeah, uh, Mary Swansea was born in Dublin on the 15th of February, 1882, which is also my birthday, BT dubs, not the 1882 part. <laughs> <I was thinking laughs> my skin old. is marvellous. <laughs> I feel that old. The second of three daughters of Sir Henry Rosborough Swansea, an eye surgeon and his wife Mary Needenham. The family residence was at 23 Marion Square and Swansea attended Alexandra College, Earlsford Terrace, a finishing school at the Leachy in Versailles. Lisey? Lisey. Yes, I obviously didn't go to a finishing school. Uh, L-Y-C-E-E? Yes. Lisey. Yes. Um, and a day school in Freiburg? Freiburg. Freiburg. I used to live near there. Really? Yeah. Wow, (laughs) in Germany. And this education meant that Swansea was fluent in French and German. So she was from a kind of well-off background. They were Protestants and, uh, yeah, she came from a wealthy family. So she did get a lot of privileges earlier in life. Um, In 1900, after several years of private tuition in drawing and fine art painting, she enrolled in May Manning's art classes where she also learned from John B. Yeats, who of course is the father of W.B. Yeats. There followed evening classes at the Dublin Metropolitan School of Art, now NCAD, so she was like a hipster, um, (laughs) painting tuition at the Royal Hibernian Academy and a further period of drawing and painting in Paris. (laughs) 
you could get like a generation of sound and you could just be like you're editing <laughs> be I, like, I'm not going to edit this out the, everyone Shauna was just drinking tea because she cares more about tea than informing the masses about yeah, it's, women it's like ASMR it's like <laughs> me drinking tea and uncrossing my legs <laughs> trying to stay still um, in so she went to NCAD and a further period of drawing and painting in Paris. Um, on the Crawford Art Gallery website, it states that in 1905 she returned to Dublin where she exhibited at the Royal Hibernian Academy, the RHA, and in it she had a portrait of her father, and the style was very formal and academic. The artist Nathaniel Hone declared it the finest painting done in Dublin in the past 30 years. All of the info online basically says that she felt she had learned what she could in Dublin, so she left for Paris, where she studied under two masters, Lucien Simon and Antonio della Gandara. Can you just remind me when events this was again? In 1905. Okay. Yeah, so... She went to Paris, excuse my butchering of the French names and places. Um, maybe I need to go there <laughs> for some schooling. Uh, she studied drawing extensively and unusually she drew both from the female and male nude perspective, which was very progressive as studying the male nude was prohibited to women at academies. Of course. Of course, naturally, the hypocrisy of it. So, in my research, I came across a really good article in the Irish Times, two really good articles in the Irish Times, um, which we'll leave the links at the bottom if you want to check them out. But in it, the author of this article, Jessica Trainer, quotes Mary Swansea as saying, I had to go there where the teachers would know how to teach, which was not by teaching you at all. You did your work and you saw what they were doing around you and your fellow students criticised you and you criticised them. And once a week the master came round and told you how bad your work was <laughs> until you learned to do it better. I kind of like that. Yeah, me too. Reminds <laughs> me of drama school. Um, so there is another article in the Irish Times. Um, it's by Aidan Dunn. Uh, he takes a funny perspective on her throughout this article. He, uh, it's like he's getting like little digs in at her subtly. So I'm not going to quote from that uh, article too much because I don't like his tone. But in that article, uh, he's quoted as saying, Her life in Paris, while agreeable, did not resemble the bohemian myth. Paris, at the time, the centre of the Western art world, was a magnet for artists of many nationalities. Usually Swansea was in bed by 8pm each evening and in the studio by 9.45am each morning, working intensively from the life model. By all accounts she was straight-laced, conscientious and hard-working to a degree that makes her sound a bit one-dimensional. That's, that's what he says, quote-unquote. But like that's kind of interesting as well because... Um, I guess, yeah, the, the Belle Epoque and it does come with all of its opium and the Moulin Rouge and all that, that <laughs> side of things. But the the other side of it is um, if you look at like other, um, if you look at other artists and writers from that particular era, um, absolutely there is that element of partying to it. But there's also this kind of idea of like the artist is a fanaticist yeah and I do find it kind of interesting that it's like if it's a man it's a fanaticist and that's why you were like working that mm -hmm. hard and 
and all that kind of stuff whereas if you're a woman you're one dimensional one dimensional yeah it's funny I I just that really stood out to me as such like a strange way of labeling it because like to me it sounds she's very dedicated she's very focused like she's obviously putting all of her life into her work you know I I would not describe that as one dimensional (laughs) I think that's the first and last time I, I quote from that article in this though um, Although he is res- he, he he is entitled to his opinion. Of course, yes, of <laughs> course. <laughs> uh, she returned from Paris and exhibited a portrait of her younger sister in the RHA in 1907, and the portrait shows a big change in her work. She attempted to make a career as a portrait painter, but claimed, quote, men wanted to be painted only by men, and women were expected to paint pussy wussies and doggy woggies. <laughs> Which is amazing. That's um... a startling criticism of the patrons at the time. So she, when she was in Paris, she started going to a lot of parties and soirees um, thrown by Gertrude Stein, who was a famous writer, but um, quite the hostess, as it were, as well. And she regularly would have paintings of Picasso and uh, just hanging around the house unframed and... they were all contemporaries and peers at the time. And uh, she was a champion of Mary Swansea's work as well. And this is a quote that um, is taken from Mary. And she said, Gertrude Stein used to have a kind of soiree and you could go to her house and see all the Picassos there. That's how we got to know about him. He was a little man who painted. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing. Um. Picasso is credited with inventing cubism in and around 1909, so he and Swansea are exact contemporaries. And uh, one of the most fascinating articles that I found about Mary Swansea, well, funnily enough, there isn't actually a book about her or anything, and her work really stands up with a lot of these very famous writers. There, I think they're in the there's a book being currently in the works about her, but... Oh, um, if, if anybody does know of yeah. any books about her and um, let us know in our social media channels because that'd be kind of cool it would be great yeah i just didn't come across any in mine but i would love to if there is uh read it because the quotes from her are just gas like she's very cutting <laughs> well I, I, like between the between the small man and the pussy wussy like and there's more <laughs> yes. um so the next information is taken from an article in the Irish Examiner um, by Marjorie Brennan and it's a really great article that I really recommend reading because it's with Sean Cassan who curated uh, the Mary Swansea exhibition in IMA last year and um, so it said in that article that in Paris Swansea became acquainted with the influential writer and art collector Gertrude Stein as we know, and already by 1905, Mary Swansea had been introduced to Stein and seen the paintings of Suzanne Matisse, again, I did not go to art school, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing these all wrong, Picasso and all of the other artists patronised by Stein. First hand unframed, lying against the walls in her house, says Cassan, adding that Swansea was very much proud of this zeitgeist. And this is the quote from him that I really like. Female artists are always inspired by, in quotation marks, whereas male artists are geniuses or inventors. So it is very important to point out that she is exactly the same age as Picasso and everything around her is part of a tendency and a zeitgeist. She is not influenced by anyone. 
I like that. That's cool. Yeah, it's very much. It's about like what you were saying with the labels of the, what what people are labels, you know, and uh, it is really cool. And at the exhibition in the Crawford, they had a really interesting side note blurb about the the difference in the prices of what their work sold for later in like in more recent times, and the difference is astonishing considering. Considering they were they were contemporary and and all that kind of stuff, but then again, like I had never heard of this exactly, lady. yeah. Um, whereas like everybody knows Picasso, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Swansea first exhibited in Paris in nineteen fourteen, and but then World War One intervened. Um, although she lived through a time of great turmoil, Swansea did not like to be drawn on politics, preferring to focus more on her art. So she's not exactly a hero of the Irish Revolution or anything. She very much wanted to stay out of that. She's quoted as saying, um, or sorry, Sean Cassan says about her, that she was in Dublin during the Rising and in interviews she is constantly pressed on what her political leanings are and she pushes it away, saying that in all revolutions the baby is thrown out with the bathwater. So she was very much anti-revolution and just stayed in Paris and stayed away from what was going on in Ireland at the time. So, but then she was actually drawn into it to some extent because in 1920, her cousin Oswald Swansea, an RIC inspector in Cork, was implicated in the killing of Tomás McCurtain, the Lord Mayor of Cork, who was shot dead by a group of masked RIC men in his home in Blackpool. So the army tried to hide him and sent him to Lisburn, but Michael Collins put together a group of hitmen and they shot and killed him on the steps of Lisburn Cathedral after Sunday service, which led to three weeks of rioting. Swansea left Ireland six weeks later and never really came back, says Kassan. She first travelled to Eastern Europe, the Balkans and Czechoslovakia, where she focused particularly on the lives of the ordinary people she met there. And uh, it's really interesting, like she was very prolific in her work. And if you, it's a shame I'm like, I can't show you. But uh, if you just look up her work, uh, you, you know, there is a big change in it from when she started to when she ends. And she travels a lot and you can kind of see that um, particularly in the next piece. And even though she was traveling, she still exhibited in Dublin, London and Paris. And in 1923, Swansea went to Canada then travelled overland through the US to California and from there sailed to Honolulu to visit her uncle Francis. After spending several months there, she sailed 2,500 miles to Samoa and by the sounds of it unaccompanied, obviously in a boat but with like other people, but in terms of who she went with, it appears she went by herself. There's no record of anybody being with her. So she depicted the incredible richness of the forests and tropical plants. And that's most seen in her, one of the most famous ones from her collection. It's called Just Simone Scene, and it's really beautiful. Um, importantly, she also depicted the lives of the native people there. And unlike her predecessor, Paul Goggin, again, G-A-U-G-U-I-N? Gauguin? Oh, Gauguin. I don't know. No, that's a different Me artist, neither. I think. <laughs> he was a famous French painter, anyway, who was kind of came before her time, um, who would have uh, went to different countries and painted the people there. Um, but it says here that he often sexualized the women of the islands, showing them naked and indolent. 
Interland. 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 Swansea always depicts the people of the islands, both male and female, busily occupied with their daily tasks. This shows Swansea taking a feminist and liberal view of the lives of these people at a time where people like Gauguin describe them as, in quotes, noble savages, which is disgusting. Um, But she, by all accounts from art critics and this art curator, you know, that she does take a very feminist standpoint that she is just depicting their lives. She's not trying to sexualize anybody or make any comments, you know. Do they kind of, uh, has anything that you read mentioned kind of like the, the colonialist aspect of it or did she manage to kind of avoid that? She avoided that because she went there by herself, I think, as a woman. That like she, she, and she, her work comments on do you mean like her being seen from a colonial gaze or yeah kind of like the work being from a colonial gaze so like if you're saying that uh, Gauguin mm. um, was looking at it for like a kind of depicting them as like indolent or whatever yeah whereas she uh, she is talking about the, or she's um, depicting them kind of at work and all that kind of stuff so it's it's less this idea of you know uh, the, the, the sauvage needed to be civilised by colonial society mm. and more so like these are people in their culture and they're doing their own Exactly, I think her work is more applauded for that, that it isn't uh, that, if, that it is just showing the depiction of daily life, people going on about their business people, you know, doing their chores, that there isn't necessarily a an othering of them. Yeah, of, okay, precisely cool. yeah, if anything it's more applauding them or like uh, um, celebrating sorry okay. not applauding celebrating just the difference in culture like I, you can kind of see it more most with the colour like it's some of her most colourful work and for work of that time like the colour really stands out so um, I think that's kind of the look that's put upon it that she was more celebrating and she hasn't been tired with the, the colonialist gaze brush um, but there's actually more in that here um, so this is another quote from Sean Kassan um, so she is a woman who didn't speak the language doesn't know the customs had no connections there and went off on her own which is a remarkable achievement at a time when women couldn't even vote there are only three modern artists that we know of who went out to the South Seas South Seas South Seas First and most famously, Paul Goggin, Emile Nold, and the third is Mary Swansea. In her painting, Swansea takes a more respectful and less patronising perspective than Goggin. We see the labour of women constantly recorded. They are not the Goggin, again, I'm so sorry I've been saying that wrong, sexualised blank canvases onto which you project male fantasies. And uh, this is another direct quote from the curator of this exhibition that I think is really interesting, that now in the context of the Me Too positioning of artwork in museums, we are obliged to give more context to the making of the work and ask if people were harmed. And in Goggin's case, they were he had child brides and uh, tertiary syphilis, etc. I don't know what that etc. is, and, uh, considering the first two things, I'm not sure I really want to know. <laughs> Child brides and syphilis, there enough. Back to the quote. Whereas Mary Swansea is making work probably 15 to 20 years later, but the gaze is so different. She is respectful to everyone she meets and they to her. 
So that's the quote um, from the curator again of this exhibition and um, that was on last year. So then all the other uh, sources online, they all say that Swansea moved back to Kulak in Dublin uh, during World War Two. And in 1943, she held a one-woman show at the Dublin Painters Gallery, and she was also featured at the first Irish exhibition of living art. After World War II, she returned to her home in London, and her work took on a darker, more sinister mood. Now, I really like this stuff. It's really weird and sci-fi and, like, grotesque. Um, so in the 1960s, some of her strangest work appeared and the scenes uh, are populated by recognisable human figures in everyday dress who are accompanied by other people who have been reduced to satirical characters, weird figures, human-animal hybrids making them sci-fi-esque rather than historical. Her work Scarecrows shows a kind of garden party where ladies in evening dresses dance in a field with a group of scarecrows. It's really cool. The scene of able-bodied women dancing with mutilated men calls to mind the aftermath of both world wars when men returned from the battlefields with missing limbs and many other deformities. So that information is taken from the Crawford Art Gallery website. But um, also as well, if you think back to like her relative being killed mm. as part of like the War of Independence, like it's international, but it's also like a national thing because you have like the Civil War and everything would have happened in Ireland. Nick granted, for she sure. wasn't there at that time, but she's definitely living in a country now that's dealing with all the repercussions as well as having lived on the continent where like just like every facet of her life is, is touched by war. It is. Which is super interesting and it shows in the work like you have those lovely beautiful scenes in Samoa where it's sunny and calm and you know and then it turns into like there's monsters and like gross figures just deranged and distorted and it it is very much the colors change it is more about a world kind of entangled with war and although she didn't actively do any, you know, wasn't actively a part of it, like her work definitely narrates or comments on that, you know. Well, like you're absolutely a product in your environment. And even if it's if, if it's not an environment that you chose, like mm. if, if that's what's been happening for decades around. But it's also really interesting what you're saying in relation to like the Samoan scenes, because if the Samoan scenes are like real gentle and placid and almost almost idyllic to an extent and then you're back in um, this so-called colonial power and like this is where all of the shit is is exploding and everything that's that's really cool to look at that juxtaposition as your career progresses sorry that was a bit of a word (laughs) but it is it's almost (laughs) like two different artists like if you put them together you wouldn't be like oh they're the same person and it's really cool there's one called allegory which is I really recommend looking it up. Uh, it kind of, to me, it's like, it looks like a hell scene from something, but it's very much like a part of this later later mind frame that she was working from. People said she had gone mad and like crazy, like in the research that I found, like people were talking about her, but not, not in text or anything, but like her peers and stuff were like, oh, she's gone crazy because she was making these grotesque that's it is it is it it, uh, oh what's the word that i'm trying to think of is it oh that's it is it avant-garde or is it is it crazy you know yeah and if a if a man was doing it what would they say (laughs) no no not in every not in every case you're looking fine off (laughs) yeah well yeah (laughs) yes um, so in that Irish Examiner article that I quoted earlier from, 
Um, they have a quote from her that's on a few different things um, that she once remarked that if I had been born Henry instead of Mary, my life would have been very different. Um, now, Sean Kassan, the curator of the exhibition, uh, he backs up this assertion, but perhaps not quite in an expected way. And he says that given her social class, had she been a man, she would have probably been killed in the war. If not, she would have had to come home and be a doctor like her father. So conversely, Swansea's gender may have in fact allowed her a certain freedom. And yes, she was one of the millions of spare women after the First World War, which is also an explanation of why so many of them didn't marry. And for her, marriage wasn't compatible with an artistic life. She said if you were married and had the responsibility of a husband and children, then you had no life left for your easel. She told one interviewer that all the wives of artists were all very unhappy. I can kind of see that to, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> me too um yeah I just think that's really great of what she did like I know she was from a, a privileged background more so than maybe other you know women especially in Ireland at that time you know she was lucky in the sense that she was born to a wealthy family they were upper middle class if not upper class you know so she would have gotten lots of starts by being able to be educated in Europe and stuff but she could have also then taken that and just become a, a lady, you know. Well, not even a lady, but what I was thinking of, like if 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 you were kind of born into that class at that time, yes, she was afforded a lot of opportunities. But one would imagine that the opportunities that she was afforded were with the idea of her becoming eligible and catching like uh, a man by going like they sent her to finishing school. The whole yeah. idea of finishing school is to prepare you for for you know your your debutante and all that kind of side of things so yeah absolutely on one hand she was afforded a lot of opportunities but on the other hand like she was raised within a gilded cage so the fact that she managed to escape that is also really interesting yeah i say that in general i do not know the specifics of her life um only what sean has been talking to us about but i imagine extrapolating from other people that that was kind of the case for sure yeah and like she seems pretty badass that she just like went to all these countries by herself now she did have an uncle who was a sugar farmer in Honolulu so I don't know what happens there or what has happened there because sugar plantations by all means I doubt were great places to be for native people or people working there um you know not well I don't know not all cases you know it's very it's interesting with stuff like this that you're like you're only getting tidbits of stuff, you know, so you don't want to be like, oh, it's great that she did this sort of and went to this sugar plantation or whatever, because then you could turn out the sugar plantation was full of slaves or something, you know. But she did go, I can't find any record of her saying that she was with anyone going to Samoa. So it seems she went by herself, which is very unusual for a woman of that time. Oh, sure, even now I've been told I'm not allowed to go on holidays by myself. Yeah, you know. <laughs> by my friends, who are male and female, um, because the last time I went on holidays by myself, I broke my hand. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where did she go? Turkey. It was a dark time. Oh, God. What <laughs> happened? I fell on a boat and I broke my hand. At least didn't fall off the boat. Probably would have been better if I'd fallen off oh, the yeah. boat. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true um but yeah so if if in 2018 it's dangerous for certain women to travel by themselves i can only imagine what it was like over 100 years before that yeah 
and especially because she wouldn't have had Yelp or TripAdvisor, no, uh, nothing. She just sort of, like, I wonder what took her there. I'd say that book that's being, uh, that's in the works at the moment would be really interesting. Or if there is any more, I'd love to read more about her. Uh, there's an RT documentary that they played a little bit at the exhibition of her speaking and she was pretty badass she was pretty snarky like she was very quick-witted it would seem and kind of very sassy but in a very mannerly way in a very uh, poised kind of sass gentil yes precisely <laughs> um, yeah so I couldn't find that online unfortunately but I would love to get my hands and eyes and ears on it because I'd love to learn more about her yeah, I think she's... But it's also, she's the first Irish cubist and is one of the most, like, she should be the most renowned, one of the most renowned Irish painters. Yeah. But, like you said, you didn't know about her. I didn't know about her till I happened to walk into that exhibition. She is getting more recognised now, a hundred years later, um, because, like, that curator said, they're looking at art galleries in different ways, you know. We'll share some of our uh, we'll share some of her artwork on our social media if you guys are interested in checking it out. Sean has been showing some of it to me as she's been talking, and it's pretty cool. Mm. My adjectives for art don't go much better than pretty cool. So. <laughs> I know. I hope there's no like. Well, no. I hope there are lots of artists listening to this, but please take it with a pinch of salt. And <laughs> I love art, but I'm from the theater background. But you wouldn't think it the way I pronounce some of those names, eh? <laughs> um, no, but uh, I really love her work, and um, as a newcomer to it, and a, you know, uh, I found it really stood out to me. So yeah, it was really interesting getting to learn a little bit more about yeah. her. There is one more thing that I actually would like to add in a little bit. Um, there's some crazy statistic that on art, in art museums, in most of them, like in national ones, it's like 98% male. And it's crazy. I was in the, I was in an art, the art museum in Lisbon last year and I remember just walking around and it was really cool. But I was like, I haven't seen one woman's name. And I had been walking for like two hours. like, And it's just something that's really stood out to me in the last couple of years. And I think they are trying to curate around that and bring in more diversity. But Jesus, we've been looking at a lot of white men's paintings for a very long time. <laughs> There was actually, a, I was chatting to a girl the other day who's going to study art curation next year and she was talking about like the importance of the curator and if the curators would have been men for so long, then it, it, it's, it's cool now that it's kind of changing to, to be more diverse to reflect that. But also if you look at the, the like of like uh, Stein who you mentioned, like maybe not in a curation point of view but certainly there were la- there were female patrons of the arts for so thank, sure thank god for the likes of them because yeah. who knows what would have happened outside of these society ladies that people like to laugh at because they had nothing else to do but yeah they were the ones holding the saloons like they're the ones who facilitated a lot of art to be made yeah um which is really good for us nowadays because we do have even if it's just a, a small percentage we still have that small percentage of minority voices that um allows us maybe a slightly different version of history which we would have gotten otherwise definitely so thanks Gertrude Stein yes <laughs> and all the patrons of the female artists 
Um, long may you continue. Um, yeah, cool. So that's Mary Swansea for you. Um, thank you very much for listening. And on the next episode... We're talking about another Mary. We're talking about Mary McSweeney, who is a cork lady. Well, adopt a cork lady, technically. Like um, yourself. Like myself. Um, who was... Started off as a suffragette, was a revolutionary. I'll, I'll tell you more about her next week. She's an interesting but slightly controversial lady. You love a bit of controversy. So thanks for listening today. Please tune in next week. We really appreciate anybody who's taken the time to listen to us. As as Sean has mentioned, we'll be sharing our notes uh, or our, our sources in the notes. So if anybody wants to go and read about further about Mary, fire on ahead Check and... Feel free to contact us. Uh, I'm not mentioning the social media handles or anything yet because we haven't created them. But but soon <laughs> and they'll be at the bottom of this podcast in the text somewhere. In the text. And uh, yeah, just uh, let us know if uh, we got any information incorrect or if you want to share anything with us that you think would be relevant, please do. And yeah, tune in next week. Bye. Bye.